Hi, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, boys, full soul of that good stuff. Welcome to the Long Distance Work Life Podcast, where we try to make sense of remote and virtual and hybrid work and just generally keeping the weasels at bay. My name is Wayne Chermel. I am delighted to be with you. My regular co-host, Marissa, is not here today. What that means is we're talking to somebody really cool. And we are talking today to Teresa Dester, who is with Emerge Book Circles. And I'm going to call her in right now. Darn it. Teresa, come Hello. From, from somewhere glamorous in France. How the heck are you? I am fabulous. I feel like I was on The Price of Right and I just got called down. Hopefully you did. Knows the price of right, but I got called down onto the stage to be with, you know. Yes, that's Jill. right. I am. I am all of a sudden Drew Carey in this scenario. That's okay. Uh, welcome, welcome. Who are you? What the heck is Emerge Book Circles? Uh, who am I? That's a really interesting question. I'm a leader. I'm a learner. I'm a reader. I'm a mom, friend, sister, athlete, yogi, tennis player, chef. That's okay, who I now am. you're just showing off. <laughs> and Emerge Book Circles is a combination of my work in education and my work as a coach, where I now facilitate book learning communities within organizations to support them to move away from just consuming ideas in isolation to creating new ways of working interdependently. Okay, there's a bunch in what you just said there. That requires some unpacking. Uh, you, you said working interdependently and all that. What's wrong with how we traditionally read books? I mean, you give well, somebody a book and they learn stuff, right? Well, nothing's necessarily wrong with reading a book, but it's exponentially <laughs> better. It's exponentially better and more effective when you read it with others. So... When you're reading a book by yourself, you are interacting it with just your perspective. So it's like you and the author are having a conversation. And that is great if you actually engage in that conversation. Because sometimes when you read a book by yourself, the author is talking to you and you're just listening. The next step is you are interacting back with the author, even though they're maybe not responding, but you're asking questions, you're asking yourself questions, you're taking it a little bit of a step further, you're trying to connect it with yourself. But when you read with another group, whether you read with somebody else or with a group, you are then taking your perspective and all the other perspectives, and you're mixing it all up. And they are helping you to uncover things that you don't see about yourself. And you're seeing things about them. So if you've ever heard of the Jahari's window, do you know Jahari's window? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that piece where there's what's known and what's unknown, that gets opened up when you read with other people because they see things about you that you can't see yourself because of your own blind spots. So that's the power. And and isn't the whole idea kind of quaint and analog? I kind mean, of what? Quaint and analog. This whole <laughs> oh, that's so 20th century. That's adorable. Um, <laughs> um yeah, but I think that there's there's power in the simplicity of things. And I think that we live in a really fast-paced world with lots of tech. And we can go, 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 go and be bombarded all the time. But I think there's really, there's this 
I feel there's a whole movement, maybe it's just who I'm surrounded with, but this whole movement to slow down. And book reading, because they're usually two to 300 pages, it takes you longer. So it's like it needs more time to marinate. And you know, if you cook or you barbecue, if you marinate that steak in something yummy, it's going to taste better. If you allow those ideas to percolate, to marinate over time, they're going to have more of an impact. Okay, so, and I'm trying really hard because my default for everything is to make it about me. And as an author, I'm really, really hard not to make it uh, about me and, and Kevin and the like. So let's just take a generic case. A lot of organizations buy a bunch of books that, by the way, folks, is a clue. Go ahead, buy a bunch of books for your people, uh, preferably ours, but I'm okay with whatever. Um, they buy a bunch of books and they hand them out and that's kind of it. So yep. if you're going to take an organized, structured approach to disseminating books in your organization or sharing them, with your friends what for lack of a better word book club always you know reminds me of people who don't read the book and are they're just there for the wine um but if you're going to have a book club quote unquote in your organization what does a good one look like so the model that i use is we we don't read a book a month with most book clubs are you read a book a month let's say but for me, for us, we read a book over several months. And for each book, we meet four times on the book content, one book, one session before, just to launch us and see what it's gonna look like and do the logistics. And then one at the end where we're bringing it all together. So if I were an organization and I wanted to launch a book circle is what I call it within an organization, I would say, let's get the players involved who actually wants to read it make it voluntary because if somebody is not a reader they don't want to engage they're going to show up not having read and they're potentially going to pull the whole thing in a different direction so ensure that the people are invested and engaged in the process and then i would actually say if you're not bringing in an external facilitator have each of the members facilitate so have them let's say you have eight people you're going to meet four times over the course of a book have each of them co-facilitate so that also brings them, brings their engagement up, brings their level of leadership up because they have to show up differently when they're leading and facilitating it than when they are not. And then I'd also say- well, as, as an instructor and facilitator, I will tell you, you only need to be a page or two ahead of the people that you're leading, but you better be a page or two ahead. That is true. Yes, yes. Um, and then have some structure to it because if- most book clubs that I've been to kind of on a personal level, you go, you're drinking wine, you're chatting, there's no structure to it. It goes anywhere and everywhere. And there's not necessarily, I mean, usually it's novels that I'm reading in this context. So there's not that same learning component, but to have a structure to it. And I usually have my book circles there an hour and a half long. One hour is too little, two hours is too much, but there's a structure. We check in, however is everyone doing? Everyone's voice is in the room. We do one kind of activity around one big idea from chapter three, let's say. And then we do one other activity, discussion, something for a big idea in chapter four, and then we check out. 
Okay, just so we can get really, really practical and prescriptive here. When you say you do an activity, what does that look like? So it depends on every book um, and it depends on what's happening in the book. So recently we, I was leading a book circle on uh, the book, The Culture Map by Aaron Meyer. And there's a whole chapter on decision-making. So what I had them do is I pretended that the CEO was having a birthday coming up and they had to make a decision about what birthday cake or dessert to have for his birthday. And I gave them 10 minutes within their team to make that decision. And then we use that activity and I ask them questions around, are you going to decide by consensus? Is it going to be top down? Are you going to vote? And then from there, we led that into a conversation around how we make decisions. What does it look like? What kind of decisions are needed based on the number of people involved, based on the expertise, based on the impact, the timeliness? So we kind of did a small activity to get them kind of warmed up. And then we went into a bigger discussion that they could then take back and use. Careful. What makes what makes for a good business read? I mean, if you're trying to pick a book for your organization, what I, there are a buttload, and that is a highly technical term. Uh, <laughs> you live in Europe, it's a metric buttload, but it's a buttload nonetheless. Um, there's a lot of books to choose from. How do you choose the book? So I would say organization. choose a book that aligns with what you're already working on. So all of my work is a complement to what the organizations are already working on. So what strategies they're working on, what challenges they're facing, what solutions they're looking for, and then choosing a book among that, I think what's also important is to choose something that is relevant to the time. There are some great classic books out there and I don't wanna knock those, but also times have changed. We've gone through a big pandemic. And so some of the teachings and some of the older books are not as relevant as they are today. And I, also, I'm constantly reminded that four-fifths of the books of the companies listed in Good to Great no longer exist. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the other thing is the readability. So if you're inviting people to read outside of their you know, work time, or hopefully you're giving them time to say, hey, you're in part of this book club. Let's, you know, give you time to read now. Um, that it has a, that it's readable, that it's enjoyable. Um, there's a lot of books out there that are very research driven and they're not as accessible for, you know, reading. And it's like, how do I actually take this and do something with it? There's too many research articles in there. There's too many studies. There's too much data. So books that have stories, books that are also transferable to the workplace that you're in. So if you're reading, somebody today just asked me about a book around organizational growth and scaling. And I just read one on tech. So it was billed by Tony Fidel, which is all, you know, he made the iPhone and he made the iPod and he made Nest thermostats. But the person who asked me about it is not in part of a tech startup. So I wasn't going to recommend that book to her because there's it's not relevant to what she's doing. You're, you know, I'm a Canadian living in Las Vegas. You're an American living in France. Um, does where you live impact how you read? 
I know you weren't prepared for that question. I would it, not. It, it just struck question. me. Um, it, it, the, the context is a lot of people listening to this know I also write fiction. And the terrifying thing is that 18% of American men read something voluntarily that was non-work related last year. 18%? 18%. What is What about women? Enjoy your book sales. Uh, women were higher. Women were closer to 25. Okay. Yeah, the stats around the number of people who read is not very high, which is a little bit sad for me. Um, but to get back for to, you, try selling yes. books. <laughs> for somebody who's a writer, for sure. Uh, what is different about how I read? That was a question. I don't well, think just it's different. In, in different in different countries. I know, you know, the French, even though, and you're dealing with people reading in English, I'm presuming. Yes. But, you know, there's the French and then there are people in Asian cultures, which are all different. They're not uniculture. Um but so in general, what is their relationship to reading? Yeah. Mm. I don't know if I have an answer to that question. I know my in-laws are big readers. They're always giving me books to read. They're also trying to support my French. My husband was not a big reader when I met him, but now he reads a lot more. Um, but in general, I'm not sure. I can't answer that question. And I don't want to just pull it out of my hat and kind of lie to your audience and say that I know because I don't. Okay. Although I'm guessing that one has to be careful if you have a multicultural team, choosing a book becomes a little trickier, right? Yeah. I mean, there are some teams that I work with where we choose a book that has been translated. So even though our conversations are in English, they can read in their mother tongue. So I have a client right now, they're in Germany and most of the team. Well, it's a mix. The team is a mix, but several of the people participating are choosing to read it in German as opposed to reading it in English, even though our conversations are in English. Very cool. So what's out there that our re our listeners, I mean, you know, this group is international. They are largely concerned with working remotely or at the very least hybrid type work. Are there a couple of books out there that maybe aren't on our radar screen that should be, and you have no obligation to mention those books? So a book that surprised me that I read last year is called The Power of Giving Away Power by Matthew Barzen. It was recommended by somebody in one of my book circles, and then we all read it together. And it's written by an American man who served as the ambassador to the UK and Sweden under Obama. And it is not very well known, but it's all about how as leaders, we can really scale our impact when we give away our power. And he uses what's called a snowflake model. So instead of, so you giving your power, so I give you power, Wayne, and then Wayne, you give power to three people and those three people give it to three people. And so it really spreads out the impact. And so we don't have to think so big. We can think small, but with a ripple effect. So that one was a great one. And everyone within my book circle, it was a leadership book circle, read that, loved it. Um, another one that surprised me that I read was the second book by David Marquette. And David Marquette is a former nuclear submarine commander. 
And his first book was called Turn the Ship Around, which is kind of a memoir. He had been asked to be the commander of the worst naval ship in like performance wise in the U.S. Navy. And he turned around all of their marks. And at first I was like, what am I going to learn from a naval commander? I was like, military, command and control. That's not kind of how I think of leadership. But he really surprised me. And so his second book is much more practical. It's called Leadership is Language. And he really gets into the nuances and the practicality of how to how he did what he did to turn the ship around. Very cool. Those are two good uh, recommendations. We will have links to those on our show notes. For those of you who worry about such things, you can find Teresa's information, uh, connect with her on LinkedIn, check out Emerge Book Circles, all that good stuff. Uh, we will have links to the book recommendations that she just made. You can go to longdistanceworklife.com. Uh, Teresa, I'm going to send you on your way in a minute before I wrap up, but is there anything you want to say to listeners about their approach to, to books, about using books as part of their organization's learning? I think that one thing that's really important is that a book can very easily be shelf development. So you buy it, you read it, you put it on the shelf and you move on to the next one. So my whole philosophy, and you mentioned this earlier, is there are so many books out there. So my philosophy in my business is to read deeper, not faster. So if I was going to leave you with anything, it's that read slower, take your time. Don't just become a theorist of the ideas, but actually a practitioner. That means taking that time to connect the ideas to yourself, to your colleagues, to your organization and beyond. Yeah, that's kind of an anti-Goodreads approach because Goodreads says you're going to read as many books as you can this year. You're going to set it for 50, 90, whatever ludicrous number of books. And what you're saying is it's better to choose a couple and dig deep on those. And I, I think that's um, that's darn good advice. Teresa, thank you for joining us. I am going thank to you. send you on your way here. And I'm going to remind everybody, speaking of books, I hate to be self-serving, uh, Kevin and my new book, The Long Distance Team, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success, is available now. You can buy it wherever the heck you buy books anywhere in the world. Uh, as we mentioned, show notes will be on longdistanceworklife.com. We thank you for that. If you have enjoyed today's show, uh, as I used to say when I was single, don't tell me, tell your friends. Please like and subscribe. Uh, let everybody know about this show. We enjoy bringing it to you. Our audience is growing quickly. Thank you to all of you for that. And if you have a question, comment, vicious personal attack, uh, something that you want us to know or a question that you want Marissa and I to approach, just drop us a line. You can reach us on LinkedIn or at uh Wayne at KevinEikenberry.com or Marissa at KevinEikenberry.com. Darn it. Thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate you. We will be back next week, myself and Marissa. And we hope you will join us again on the long distance work life. Have a great week.